feature presentation. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to the eighth best movie podcast in Canada. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside. He's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved. Eric Marchin. Matt, how long are you going to hold on to that? <laughs> you know what? Until we get to number seven and then six and then five and then four and then three and then two and then we're never passing film junk. So. Oh, no. Film junk uh, is an institution when it comes I'll to Canadian take, film podcasts. I'll take number two. Uh, but yes, welcome to the 126th episode of the Untitled Movie Podcast. We are back. Look at weekly episodes. I don't. I feel like this is the first time in like four months we've done two consecutive weeks. <laughs> It's the most consistent we've been. On this show. I mean, we put out reviews pretty consistently. You guys can check out our review for Thor, uh, Love and Thunder, as well as, didn't we review something else? The Gray Man. The Gray Man. (laughs) I already forgot. I already forgot. As we're recording, this is still only playing theatrically uh, in limited release and will be available on Netflix July 22nd. So you guys can go check out that. It's spoiler free, uh, but if you've seen it in theaters. Um, if you've seen any spy help. movie, you kind of know what you're getting into. <sighs> you have. So go check that out uh, as well as last week's draft, which was a big, you know, me talking about my wedding in Croatia and things like that. If you miss that out, uh, miss that out. That doesn't even make any sense. Eric, how are you? Matt, I built a rowing machine the other day. That's I how heard. I'm doing. So... Yeah, are you get you prepping for a for a race or? Oh, you know it. The race uh, against anxiety. Um, yeah, so it's against just me- obesity. <laughs> yeah, stress eating really. Um, yeah, it's just me trying to get back into a little bit of a, a a routine and 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 get some exercise in. And you know, with the last few months, it's been a, a little bit more stressful. I've talked about it with you know my grandfather and things like that. So I'm now trying to at least kind of commit to something on a daily basis and so i ordered this row machine that i built uh the other day and had my first kind of go uh with it 20 minute session and uh it was good it, it was it's one of those things where it's like you like if you haven't exercised in in a while you feel it again that first time like because yeah. i've been doing it earlier this year and a more consistent like this is as consistent as like the podcast has been i have a beer as you're talking about this yeah um so it was just kind of good to kind of feel that again and be reminded like oh it's it's good to do this and kind of get to a point where you won't feel like this all the time when doing Mm -hmm. it you know uh yeah i i feel you i feel like i was the most busy I've ever been on that Europe trip. And it was the most steps I've gotten in three years and things like that. And I definitely, you know, felt it even getting back from that trip. Once you, I feel like if you consistently keep doing it, your body is used to it and almost enjoys it at one point, <laughs> sort of. Um, but then well, it's the after thing that you enjoy, right? Like it's, it's, it's after the physical sort of uh, feeling of, of, of inducing that kind of labor on yourself where then yeah. afterwards you feel good. You have that extra energy. Totally. And I just, but I've been home for two weeks now and my, you know, I barely moved again. And even like this weekend, I'm like, I, sh- I sh- should go outside. <laughs> I'm like, it takes time. Just, you know, uh, it's so beautiful. I like, I really do enjoy Toronto in the summer and stuff too. So like, uh, I, Nevis is at a cottage this weekend. So 
um i've just been kind of being lazy bachelor mode where i've like just been eating pizza and, and doing nothing but matt no you're way. not a bachelor you're a married yeah. man you need it's to stay a bachelor fit. weekend though yeah i know i know i do and i want to get back out there, you're not you know? you're not in bad shape though man like ah, no nah. no you, you know remember that time laura dern called said i looked like a surfer <laughs> you want you want to get into peak <laughs> surfer bod mode? i'm like laura dern you have not seen me without a shirt on but i, I appreciate that um, yeah, I, you know, I've been, God, I've been like, I need to start doing something like that too. Like we have a gym in the building and a pool in the building and I'm like, go swimming, man. Like I that, just, I, I find yeah. that that is a lot of uh, like, not only is it exercise, but it actually can be more enjoyable. <laughs> I'm laughing. Cause we're going to talk about, uh, Nathan Fielder's the rehearsal in, in a little bit and, and other oh, things but, like you mentioned swimming and that like, oh, it's, yeah. so, it's so funny. Cause like I, <laughs> I, I went down to our pool once and I was like swimming and then literally an old dude came in the pool and it was just me and this other old dude. And I'm like, I, I, I'm sure you're a lovely guy. I'm like, I just don't want to be in here now. <laughs> like I liked it when no one else was here and I was just kind of doing my thing. And like, I always find some sort of bullshit excuse, but like, right. I, I will, uh, one of my goals for the rest of the year is like, especially in the summer is like get out and get some fresh air and like move around and like, try to go out and do things on the weekend this year's been weird i think it's just because you know we're entering that we're still in a pandemic but everyone doesn't think we're in a pandemic you know trying to get used to going out and doing things again um and then just i think moving to this new spot that we did last year in in the end of summer as well as like the lead up to the wedding i'm like i've looked i looked at my letterbox stats the other day and i'm like this is the least amount of movies I have watched in a year so far. And we're like halfway through the year um, in almost a decade, like since I've been tracking on Letterboxd, like I'm averaging, oh God, I'll go look it up. It was like 2.6 movies a week, which is like garbage for me. And I think it's just showing I'm like, what am I doing if I'm not watching movies? I guess I'm watching a lot of TV this year. And I guess I think with the wedding and taking those three weeks and like planning it and stuff like that, like it just kind of took a hit on, um, on my letterbox. And, and I'm like, Oh, I guess that's maybe a good thing that I'm like, you know, I know we're doing a movie podcast, so it sounds bad where I'm like, Oh, my letterbox per week average is going down year over year. And it's like, Oh, maybe, that means I'm going out and doing other things, but I'm like, but what am I doing, Eric? Because I don't know what else I'm doing other than I'm like, I'm not playing many games. I'm like, I guess I'm watching a lot of Dragon Ball. I'm watching a lot of random TV and stuff like that. But um, yeah, my average way down 2.7, just garbage. Embarrassing. If <laughs> it makes you feel any better, I'm I'm also in a similar boat where I think this has been you know, where we are now in, in, in July, the least amount of uh, any films that i've been watching this year so my average per week is 4.2 so yeah that's still pretty i think like if you go back to my i think each year the pandemic the first year of the pandemic it went up and then the last i had 5.7 last year so yeah i guess you being under what i what my average is is pretty low for you because you're usually like i'm usually like eight a week um, 4.7 was my year before so you're right on that track but usually like it goes up we covered more film festivals the last couple of years this year we hadn't as much and then no. um tiff also brings that way up right because you see like 40 movies in two weeks so that kind of bumps it up a few points but um yeah you know I, now that it's summer and stuff i want to get out and go but even like i'm skipping random things like i 
in movies as well. Like I feel like I'm skipping more than not in other years. Like I'm going, Oh, I'll see that later. When it comes out on VOD or something. Or I'm like, Oh, I'll go a weekend. I'll go and catch a couple things. And then like, I just don't go (laughs) and I don't know why. And I think maybe it's cause it's a little bit more of a pain in the ass to get to a cinema from where I am. Unless Nevis and I drive, um, it takes an hour and I'm like, do I want to take an hour on the or 45 minutes on the bus to go see Elvis? I'm like, eh, no. <laughs> and then like, um, or other things like I want to see, uh, the black phone, which is out on VOD. Now I wanted to see men and I missed that. That should be on VOD soon. And I'm like, I, I caught up with Marcel, the shell with shoes on, which isn't out on VOD yet, but I did watch that, uh, as a screener. So we'll talk about that in a bit, but, uh, I'm glad you were, you know, we're both doing other things and just watching movies, even though this is a movie podcast. You're getting in rowing shape. It reminds me of in fucking social network with the on the Mountain Kings. Or even the novice, right? I'm not gonna the go novice, to that level, great, right? <laughs> the novice. Great movie. Everyone go yeah. check. Is that out now? Yeah, well, yeah, it's out on VOD. It came out? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, it came out last year. Yeah. I just quietly got dropped. Underrated. Well, Isabella Furman like, is actually going to be starring in the, in the orphan, orphan sequel. So isn't it a prequel, prequel or sequel? It, or is it one it of those is. prequel sequels where like, like the Godfather two, right. <laughs> right. orphan first right. kill and the Godfather part two, same movie. <laughs> oh man, Erica, what else uh, have you been watching? Have you been watching anything? Matt, we both watched recently. Uh, I watched it this morning. I think you watched it the other day. Uh, we already alluded to it. Uh, Nathan Fielder's <laughs> the rehearsal, which is you need to see this thing to believe it because you know like you you think you kind of know that cringe comedy style that Nathan Fielder is bringing to the table with Nathan for you and even when he was you know doing uh this hour has 22 minutes on uh Canadian television um the rehearsal takes things to a whole nother level. It's basically if Charlie Kaufman directed uh, the game, the David Fincher movie. Uh, but the participants, it's also like Sinecki in New York. Yeah, yeah. But the 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 participants are more um, willing than say uh, the Michael Douglas's character in the game. Um, yeah this this show, you know, it's it's the perfect length. It's the first episode's forty five minutes. It still is extremely awkward and cringy at times, but it is also so fascinating that I think it helps undercut some of that anxiety that you feel while you're watching people have awkward interactions to the point where it's like, okay, you're just fascinated by the level of construction that this show goes to in order to set up this scenario and the not only the meta qualities of it, but the idea of how someone approaches a certain situation and would rather, you know, build this kind of facade than actually face, you know, a a true conversation, you know, and let it be spontaneous. Everything is, this is a simulated life that Nathan Fielder has created. And this first episode is astonishing. And it's also very, very funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's very funny. Like I, I don't laugh out loud often when i'm watching something by myself you know like you know when you watch something a comedy by yourself and you're like you know when something's funny and you almost like laugh in your head 
or I don't know if that's weird or if other people do that, but that's kind of what I do when I'm alone. Uh, unless or you, or you think to yourself, like, oh, that's funny. You know, yes, like, yeah. exactly. You go, or you might go uh, smile and, and do that exact thing. Um, last night I watched this in bed, like super late um, by myself. Cause I mentioned Nevis is away. And she also yelled at me for watching it without her. Um, and I cackled to myself multiple times, like, and just, I couldn't control it. Like something would happen and I would burst out laughing. And it, it, it is that same kind of perfection you get from Nathan for you or, um, uh, what's the other one that he produced that you really like Eric, how to with, Oh, how to uh, with John, John Wilson, Wilson. Which is great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is also great. And like, but this, yeah, it takes those, those perfect aspects. Like, Nathan for you was also always one of those shows where I'm like, is this all is, is Nathan Fielder's biggest con that all of this is fake and he's hired all these people are actors, but he's just so good at making it feel like he found real people and, and playing these scenarios. And now from this and the way that he explains it to that first guy is like, Oh no, he's just very good at, you know, finding people and knowing how to read them and kind of shifting the narrative in the way that he wants to build whatever he, you know, the plot line of that episode is going to be both in Nathan for you and then kind of showing you that, like you said, that meta thing in in this and taking real people and just with an HBO budget, which is just like, I think some of the funnier aspects is when he builds real life models of like which the bar perfect. or the house and like, perfect. it's wild. And Immaculate it's like, they go into this, and I'm like, this is such a great use at Warner's Warner brothers discoveries money that it's just so stupid and, and but perfect. <laughs> and I just felt like throughout the episode, I, I went through so many range of emotions from going like, um, this is I'm like, this is funny. Like when he explains to the guy what he did to prep for that conversation to this is insane to I kind of feel bad for this guy. And then I'm like, oh, but now this is sweet. And I'm like, this is actually kind of nice what he did <laughs> for him. And like some and then I'm, then it went back to like, oh, my God, the punchline of the whole thing is just it is like. That borderline, you know, uh, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen's very good at this too. Of, and well, even Tim and like, Eric, where they bring Tim in people Eric, that yeah. aren't actors, and then you kind of also question the ethics of it a little bit. Where it's like, okay, is is this kind of like a form of catfishing for people that yeah. are kind of on the margins of society, or people that are just socially awkward, whether they be you know people that are on the spectrum or have some sort of psychosis that they're yeah. dealing with in their personal lives, and are they being exploited? by this person but then at the same That's time a, i think i think i think nathan fielder also is somebody who is just a generally awkward person and is trying to work out something as he's doing this for somebody else so it kind of makes it a little less icky in that kind of way that it's like oh let's like point and laugh at somebody you know at their expense where it's almost like it's showing you how ridiculous nathan fielder is as a person who orchestrates this whole thing like this demonic puppet master and yeah. and you're watching it and you're thinking to yourself like how far is this guy willing to go like I, I think another thing that's really important with this episode and probably with the show moving forward is the timing and the editing like I think that there there are moments I was in there when it's, the editing when it cuts great. back and forth there's there's yeah. an amazing bit where like every every variable is pre-planned to the point where it's like there's no room for error. There's no margin for error. 
Except there was this one bit that's so amazing involving a chair. And <laughs> I could not stop laughing at that that's moment. Great. And yeah. the delivery of of how Nathaniel uh, or Nathan kind of like pulls up this line saying like, you know, it made me look like a fool. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like that is amazing but, stuff. But some of those things might be even so intentional too. Like he's just so good at crafting comedy in that way where it's like – he has this narrative in his head and knows exactly what he wants to do and kind of at least it seems that way in the point of going oh if i just do this one thing it's going to that's the punchline to this kind of thing that i'm doing so even when he's there he might have chosen that chair knowing for that it would make that comedic moment right of like there could have been a normal chair but he's like oh no can i sit in this chair and the way that he uses the edit and and almost builds this thing in his mind as he's going. He's so good at reading people and reading a room um, where I don't know. He's probably socially awkward and, and and things like that too. But he he puts that into his work and makes really funny comedy from it. Right? Like I feel like all of that is intentional, and everything he does is intentional. Like he frames. I I could just picture him framing out this entire thing, just like the proposal of what this show is. And just it going completely to plan, or even if you have to improvise in certain moments, you'll understand going, oh, that's going to make for a funny edit, or that's going to do this. And there's so many moments throughout the thing. I was going to bring up the edit as well. There's a great moment at the very end of the episode that uses editing super, super well as well. And just like... Oh, is it that final conversation that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, it's so perfect. It's just so pitch perfect. And just the, the deadpan of it all is just it is is so funny and just the attention to detail is is wild and I, i'm not sure like what each episode is going to be and if it will kind of play itself out i don't think it will <laughs> depending on the situations and how ridiculous they get um but i'm absolutely um i adored the first episode like i thought it was one of the funniest things i've seen in in quite some time just because of the thinking about all these things of how he put it together, how he crafts the the narrative and the and the joke and and the punchline of the of the whole episode. And then there was a sweetness in there too, to your point where it's like, yeah, at times it did feel like, oh, is he making fun of this guy? Or does this guy does he have some he obviously has some social anxiety and Korski, and, 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 which and, is also an amazing yeah, name. Yes. And like I at times I'm like, ah, is he making fun of him? And I don't like that. Um, but then you see how this uh, um, simulation almost helped him in that moment, right? As you get to the moment where he's actually doing it. And even the way that that plays out is is doesn't go exactly to plan of how they planned it. But then it ultimately ends, ends up, you'll watch the episode. But uh, then there's this sweet moment where I'm like, oh, he actually did help him, even though this the whole thing was absolutely ridiculous and just like, but is there kind of a, a darkness to that? And then that's kind of where the punchline comes in. And I think that that's, it, it's just, I had so many different emotions watching it and there's not very many people who can, can do that with comedy. And, and I ultimately was like, <laughs> like I don't know if I am completely behind what he's he's doing to these people but it's it is very very funny and obviously they all sign off on it because they're all in the show so you know it's like any hidden camera show uh part hidden camera part you signed up to be on it where 
um, ultimately they probably explain very normally what the show is and that it's, you know, and people sign off on it and don't get too mad afterwards. But I'm curious. I, I can't wait to see if people do really get mad at him or, or anything like that. And I, he's always such an interesting person to me because I never know if it is real or not. Like I could see him ultimately at the end of his career or like later being like, I got all of you fuckers that all of this was fake. <laughs> like everything I've done was were actors or non-actors who were acting and things like that. Cause it almost seems like I can't believe he finds these people and has these conversations with them. And it almost feels fabricated, but to such an extent where you don't know if it's fabricated. So that's my hypothesis because well, it on, feels so real when he is yeah. talking to Korskeet and then it cuts to the actor who's playing Korskeet and then you see, uh, the act the the actors who are playing their 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 doppelgangers are yeah, amazing in simulation like, like in way, Nathan Fielder's simulation yeah the way that they take like you know a video or you know uh, uh, an, inter uh, an interview a fake interview and sort of are able to take a bit of that personality and then work with that and kind of create a full character in the simulations um, is phenomenal. Again, it is very funny. I could not stop laughing every time the mention of Thrifty Boy comes up or <laughs> the idea of like, again, the, this simulated sort of um, bar called the Alligator where they have their own kind of like makeshift pizza oven where they just put the, the frozen pizza in and See, then they yeah. throw it in the garbage. <laughs> That's see, that's just the perfect like fucking. It's, and then they put it's, their real pizza. In yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. Like it's that kind of stuff that is such a throwaway bit, but is so funny, right? Like it goes so over the top to the commitment of making it seem real. But then there are those behind the scene moments that are for the audience watching that are just absurd and really really funny. And he again, his deadpan delivery of everything is like. I don't believe that he is as socially awkward. Like I do feel like it is a character he's playing because it's just so well crafted that I can't someone who's just socially awkward and fumbling into these situations. It's not that like, I really do believe that he's, he's, he's doing a bit through. It's amplified. Like this. I think, I think there like, is, there is a sense of him sure. as a person that is awkward, but he, he's probably over the years, as you can see with these shows harness that. And it is also yeah. just interesting thinking about how we really haven't seen him kind of be integrated into any other, you know, Hollywood productions or, or other, you know, movies or shows with the exception of that, that one cameo in the night before with Seth Rogen and Anthony Mackie and Joseph mm -hmm. Gordon Levitt. Was he one of the people in Marcel, the shell at the end? Yes. Too? Yes. He has, a, yeah. he has a voice okay. in that. And so, like, I feel like he's a guy that needs to kind of work on projects that are his own and, and, and by his own terms. And, and I feel like if he were to be kind of more sort of, although it's saying this, I mean, he is now working on a show called The Curse with Benny Safdie and Emma Stone. So, and I think that that's more of a, um, a, a, a narrative series than it is like a non-fiction hybrid thing. So. I can't wait, man. It is I, wild, I man. You need to see it. Yeah. And if you haven't watched Nathan for you or how to with John Wilson, you got hours of delight uh, for you. And it's not for everyone. His style of humor. I, I get that. Like it is Nathan for you was one of those shows where I'm like, I couldn't binge watch it. Like I could only watch a couple episodes at a time because it was like 
almost too much because of the uncomfortable nature of the whole thing. And that's why I'm glad I'm watching this week to week because I feel like. And it being um, a week to week show because yeah. we talked about that with even our Gray Man review where like, you know, the Netflix style would not work as well with something like this where you need that week to kind of decompress after yeah. watching <laughs> how, you know, your body clinches up watching that thing. Yeah. Absolutely. And it it's an HBO original, not HBO Max, which is interesting too, even though I it, it's interesting what the difference uh there is now because I know there was news that The Last of Us is an HBO series, not an HBO Max series as well. Um but a great use of of a large budget. They obviously Nathan for you was successful, which was also HBO? No, it was Comedy Central. Comedy Central, it? yeah. Yeah. Um <clears throat> So getting that HBO budget, which is a little bit more, like he definitely puts it to good use because there's some amazing sets and different things. Yeah, go check it out. Uh, first episode's now streaming on HBO, HBO Max, and Crave here in Canada. It was really, really funny. He's a thrifty um, boy. <laughs> or even when um, they're in the car and, and they're introducing, you know, Trish is the person that uh, Core wants to kind of have this conversation with and they're talking about her, her blog. Mm -hmm. cheap chick in the city and they just (laughs) (laughs) yeah i love how they try to uh, like um implant the trivia questions oh that is incredible it's great um the fake bird watching article is funny as hell all the conversations and things that um, when he eats the 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 ketchup pack yeah (laughs) but he still has a camera so it's like how thrifty are you (laughs) it's so funny man it's so funny um moving on i already mentioned it so we can jump into that uh i watched uh marcel the shell uh with shoes on last night which is uh you know i missed it while i was away in um europe eric you reviewed it over at rogers right yep uh, you just did an interview with Dean Fleischer Camp, who which should be out soon ish. This week, or? yeah. The 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 interview has been edited, so it'll probably be available Monday or Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really Your lovely. Talking, <laughs> y- yes, apparently, um, it was really lovely uh, talking to him about uh, not only the film but uh, the uh, iconic house hippo from Canadian PSAs in the nineties. And also uh, working with animator um, uh, Stephen uh, uh, Kodiak, who is a uh, director of a film that traumatized many children in the 1980s called Killer Clowns from Outer from Space. Space. I know the VHS cover very, very well. Uh, this should not traumatize children, even though there are some moments that you know are it made me cry. Um, but I I adored this thing, and I I feel like I need more soft boy movies like this, um, where it's just like someone called it cuddle core, I think too, where it's just like a warm hug, just perfectly pleasant um, movie. And uh, I watched this last night by myself, uh, cried quite a bit uh, at a certain moment, and I just thought it was absolutely delightful. Um, I've seen the YouTube shorts, I. I I guess I didn't watch them when they went viral a while back, but I recently caught up with them when I heard this movie was coming. Um, I loved the kind of meta narrative of Dean playing himself in the movie and uh, having those YouTube videos that he put out as part of the narrative and that he moves into this Airbnb and he meets Marcel and 
just Marcel's whole story of finding his trying to find his family and 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 uh, his Isabella Rossellini grandma and like Nana um, Connie, Nana Connie, and just like uh, it's not a movie that I think you need to go too deep into, even from an analysis standpoint or a review standpoint, but like uh, it is just so delightful from start to finish. I think Jenny Slate is amazing as Marcel. Um, I just, the animation I thought is great. It, uh, the cinematography throughout it, like I can see why a 24 picked this up. It reminded me a little bit of a ghost story and like, um, and just that kind of, you know, quiet and subdued, but then cute. And then like a, a beautiful at times and, and the, the pr- production design and the animation I thought was just great. And, um, I think it was just a delightful movie from start to finish. Yeah, it's it's one of those films that never overstays its welcome, and yeah. it's, it's it's very much similar in the the script structure and and sort of thoughtfulness that goes into it. The same way that something like Petite Mama is, where yeah. it feels like the narrative ends where it needs to. It's only about an hour and twenty nine minutes, and Perfect. you're watching this thing where it's like, okay, like I, I would not be able to say where or how you would expand a series of, you know, three to four minute shorts that were released back in the early 2010s and where you would go with this, but it's kind of perfect. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you mentioned, the meta quality, you know, Jenny Slate and and Dean being a couple and, you know, divorcing and that kind of reflects in the relationship between Marcel and Dean as as characters, and then also the couple that are kind of in the background, played by Thomas Mann and uh, Rosa Salazar, uh, in kind of brief moments. Then you have the 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 beautiful relationship between grandparent and grandchild, which also reflects something in Dean's own um, relationship with his grandmother, and he was going through you know losing a loved one to uh, dementia, and and so. A lot of those things are there, but to your point, I think that, you know, if you're looking at this as just a really lovely sort of story about how someone sees the world, you know, the Mm -hmm. perspective of something, someone so small sees, you know, the the world around them in, in such an interesting way, it does it so well and it taps into that kind of childlike wonder without it ever being too whimsical or saccharine. Mm -hmm. And then also it's very kind of, funny and biting at times like there's a moment where marcel talks about like you know you never sign off with like you know warmongering or something like <laughs> yeah, that yeah. that is very funny i, like, I did like i i loved the childlike innocence that you're saying where marcel kind of is you know very much through a child's eyes doesn't really know everything but then there are those moments that almost break character where you know it's jenny slate improvising or something like that and it's almost too smart for what the character is, but right. it's so good that those biting moments of Marcel, or it's almost like someone who has no filter or just like, uh, will say whatever they're thinking. And, and there are those biting comments that at times where I'm like, it doesn't seem like this shell would know this or talk this way, but then, you know, it kind of just works. And I think that you kind of give it a pass, but then as the movie kind of plays out, you go, Oh, th- uh, Marcel watches 60 minutes or Marcel, you know, uh, so maybe he would know these things, but like, right. um, I, I did love that kind of stuff too. 
Yeah, and 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 again, like the emotional core is the relationship between Marcel and Nana Connie, and I think that mm-hmm. Isabella Rossellini's uh, voice performance is just amazing. It's I one of the best great, yeah. of the year, in, in my opinion, in terms of just performances in general, especially I this agree. one moment before the sixty-minute interview that I think is really, so really great. everything. It, just, it hits on that. a different that conversation level. she has with Dean, and then like the the moments from you know that that moment up until the 60 minutes thing is just like there is depth there when i said that there's not a lot to talk about like i think the movie does a really good job with tackling these subjects from you know a child's eyes or or innocent eyes and things like that and and i thought the isabella rosalini stuff was fantastic yeah it wears its heart on its shell and like when you're watching it you're just thinking to yourself like it's such a pure experience. There's there's a lot of funny moments, but it's never cynical or mean-spirited or cruel in a way that I think a lot of movies nowadays can be, especially when you're dealing even with just the incorporation of, you know, social media and an online mm-hmm. component where it can become a lot of vitriol and a lot of sort of, you know, harboring of of you know, bad thoughts and feelings towards something that's either popular or cute. It never, it never goes to a place that feels insincere to what the tone of the story is. And like, again, like the other thing I was talking to Dean about, and we talked a little bit about uh, this with the Daniels as well, the way that he wrote the script, because he's also a co-editor with the, one of the co-writers, Nick Paley, is that he wrote the script through editing. And he was talking to me about how, nowadays like a lot of filmmakers you know especially if they have a hand in editing will write as if they're editing in the process so it was just really fascinating to hear him talk about how a lot of the story whether it be improvised or you know kind of structured because there is a lot of work that goes into kind of setting up sequences and and especially when you're doing a lot of stuff with post-production and stop-motion animation but the way that he would write, the way he was thinking was from an editing point of view as much as a screenwriter. So that I found really That's fascinating. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it shows. The movie is excellent. Uh, I highly suggest everyone to watch it with their kids by themselves. I would. It's a movie I would recommend to anyone. Um, I think it's a good baby's first A24 as oh, well. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just like you want to introduce your kid to like art house at least mainstream art house cinema, like a 24 cinema, like it that is followed that... by green room. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Double feature for the five-year-old in your life. Uh, no, but I, I genuinely believe that where it's like, Oh, this is, you know, film bro can, it can show their, uh, little kid that they just had. That's anything between three and 10 years old. And I think they'll have a, they'll like Marcel for how cute he is, but then there's some great themes in there and some great learning experiences and, and maybe they won't grasp it totally if they're super young, but I think it's a movie that they might revisit later in life as well and then get even more out of it. And I I do think it's perfect as baby's first a 24 movie. So I loved it. It's in my top five of the year right now. Um, I, I thought it was fantastic. And um, I'm very, very glad I made that choice in just watching it alone last night and crying to myself. So yeah. <laughs> and again, it, it follows in that a 24 aspect, uh, aspect oh, yeah. ratio, right? It's not quite the four by three, but it's, but got it's still that, boxed um, in. It's got that like Jackie um, uh, aspect ratio. I know that wasn't a 24, but a 24 just likes movies that aren't completely 
widescreen. (laughs) (laughs) If your movie's not completely widescreen, we'll buy it. Um, Yeah, I want to make a t-shirt that says, I got stoned and cried during the Shell movie, because that was me last night. And there's more Shell at the bottom of it. Yeah, it's so great. Um, Moving on. um, I've been watching, Eric, I've been watching so much Dragon Ball, man. (laughs) Flying Nimbus. Got that Dragon Ball. I got the stuck in my head so much. So I decided when I got back from Europe, I'm like, I want something continuous that I can throw on anytime um, and kind of just have something for the next foreseeable future for the foreseeable future, not next foreseeable future. That doesn't make any sense Um, for the foreseeable future. um, Unless you're Nicolas Cage from next. Sure. Um, And I was trying to decide what that is. And I had a weird uh, urge to watch the entirety of Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball Z is a show that me and you talk about pretty not super frequently, but we were both huge fans of it in the 90s when growing up. I watched it. I remember staying up till midnight to watch it on Teletoon because they had the sort of uncut versions at midnight. Um, and I was obsessed with Goku and Dragon Ball Z as a, as a kid, and I haven't watched it since then. So I think I, you know, getting into high school or maybe later in elementary school, grade eight, grade nine, I think I, I, th- it was, I went through that phase and I think I talked about it before where I was like too cool for the things that were nerdy or that I liked. Like I was always a video game kid, a comic book kid and Dragon Ball Z kid, North American anime, like Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball, Pokemon, uh, things like that. But, um, as I got into high school, I think I would tried to be like cooler and I wanted to get into sports and play on the sports teams and shit like that. So I like kind of fell off of a lot of that stuff. Video games were that one thing that kind of, uh, nerdy thing that I carried through. But so I, I stopped watching Dragon Ball Z. I probably never finished it whenever like the we got it way later than Japan. And I forget which saga I I stopped. I just don't remember a lot of it. I remember kind of big moments, but uh, I don't remember a lot of it. So I'm like, you know what? I've never watched the original Dragon Ball all the way through. I remember being introduced to the original Dragon Ball when I was young. And I remember going, oh, that's the one where Goku's younger and things like that. And I remember watching some of that. So uh, I went on, uh, got a Funimation uh, subscription. And I think that's changing to Crunchyroll soon. So I uh, went to Funimation and they have the entirety of Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball GT, Dragon Ball Super. Um, so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to commit. I'm going to watch every episode of the entirety of not just Dragon Ball, but Dragon Ball Z, GT, Super. I'm going to go through the whole entire thing, and I'm going to watch all those Dragon Ball Z movies and shit like that, too. So anything that's <laughs> anything that's canon, I'm going to watch. So I am. I don't know how many episodes I am. I'm going to look it up right now. Um, uh, Dragon Ball Sagas. But I'm on the third main saga of Dragon Ball. Um, which is also split into like three, sorry, four mini sagas. So, um, well, I guess like there's the main sagas, which are Sun Goku Saga, Red Ribbon Army Saga, and Piccolo Saga, and then there's sub sagas under that. So, I'm in the middle of the Red Ribbon Army Saga. So, I've watched Emperor Pilaf Saga, the Tournament Saga, Red Ribbon Army, uh, General Blue. And I'm on Commander Red. No, I'm on General Blue still. No, Commander Red. 
Um, I'm gonna go. Through Is it blue or red, right Matt? Cut the <laughs> yeah. wire. But like, I I've watched like fifty something episodes of Dragon Ball, so I am all in. I have it on constantly. Um, I just have it playing mostly like in the background. It's one of those shows where I'm like, I am paying attention to it, but you can kind of just have it constantly running. Um, and I'm enjoying the shit out of it. Like I, I, I hadn't watched the OG Dragon Ball in so long, but like, I love like talking about like childlike innocence, like Marcel the shell. It's like a perfect segue where you have this incredibly powerful being, but this with this childlike innocence where all he wants to do is get his grandpa's dragon ball and help his friends. And he just goes and beats the shit out of people because he wants to stick up for his friends or needs to kind of get these people out of his way. And I feel like the animation still holds up. The uh, action sequences hold up. The storytelling is a lot of fun. Like master Roshi does. I'll get to that. I'll get that. I'll get to that. Um, and like all that stuff when it comes to Goku trying to find the Dragon Balls with Bulma and, and Krillin and and Oolong and, and stuff like that is like a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot that does not hold up as you mentioned, like Master Roshi and his, uh, you know, creepiness um, really really doesn't i know it was one a different time it was the mid 80s two it was you know a japanese anime and you know uh, some anime is very horny and like or actually a lot of anime is very horny um which is like you know the culture is different so you know in japan they it's it's normal there Uh, um and here we sexualize a lot of stuff too it's just the way that they sexualize certain characters or have master roshi be so horny all the time and he is like an old man like a super old man and he's just creeping on Bulma who is 16 uh or creeping on other women throughout the the show of any age um bleeding out of his nose and just being completely inappropriate at all times i'm like i can't believe how much the show focuses on that horniness cuz like goku's the beginning stuff with him and Balma is like, okay, well, he's a child. He's never seen a woman before. Um, you know, I think some of that stuff isn't necessarily sexualized. It's just kind of that weird, uh, okay, Balma will be half naked and Goku's tapping people on the privates to find out if they're a boy and boy or girl and things like that. Like that I can kind of be like, all right, I get that there's going to be some horniness in this and I'm not against horniness. It's just like the age of the characters and like how people present themselves, even Yamcha being super horny for Bulma um, is fine. Cause I, I feel like they're of similar age, but like the master Roshi stuff um, is really at times going, Jesus Christ, I can't believe one that we, that they haven't, I know these are the uncut versions, but I'm surprised in 2022 that someone's like, yeah, we can keep all that stuff in there. It's fine. <laughs> like I get that, you know, it's a, the original, you know, you don't cut things out of movies if that's how they were made. It's just, you can kind of re, reanalyze them. Like I'm kind of doing recontextualize. Right now, but, yeah. Yeah. And for, you know, 2022, but um, and then just the way that they treat, you know, uh, uh, female characters throughout the show is just very sexualized at times. And it's just like, all right, they, I don't know if that gets better throughout as the characters get older throughout Dragon Ball Z and stuff like that. But no, I, I remember um, watching the YTV Dragon Ball Z episodes. And even though those were edited, they still had quite a bit of sort of 
um, suggestive kind of well su- not only suggestive material but in terms of that kind of aggressive sort of sexualizing of characters and master roshi specifically being a pervert and like that stuff didn't really get cut out it was more so like anything to do with like blood or blood or swearing nudity, right? or yeah mm-hmm. like like full-on nudity or smoking uh those like were the things that were cut out <laughs> goku's uh, little wiener gets part. cut out in the yeah uh, but his little wiener th- all throughout this, um, and then some female nudity. You never see nip, but they still get away with quite a bit. So, and we were also um, talking about like how I mean, even though it is a Japanese show, and a lot of the characters are Asian caricatures and designs, but the way it does treat other people of color when it's creating yeah, character designs that's is thing questionable too, too. Yeah, any uh person who is is black uh is is not cool the way that they draw them um, at all. It's that very caricature kind of style. And like, you know, I'm going through and like all of these people aren't necessarily, I mean, they are human, but it's on earth, but it's a, you know, alternate reality earth kind of thing. Right. And there are different people of different races, different creatures, different things like that too. Right. Um, But yeah, anytime they meet someone who is not exactly, uh, just like white or even Asian is just depicted in kind of a caricature kind of way. Um, like who's that one villain of the red uh, army, the, the, the black soldier. Yeah. I don't know his name off the top of my head, um, but he's like the second in command guy. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, they, they do that kind of, you would anytime that <clears throat> a very inappropriate drawing of people of color for the most part. And like, I'm even right now at a, at a moment where they have, um, uh, you know, indigenous or a native character and they're, you're not, they're not, uh, like it is a character from the dragon ball universe. So you could kind of just, they're getting inspiration from, from that, but it is very much just like that kind of caricature kind of looking thing. And they have that throughout the show, which is just showing how dated it is at, at times and that it was made in the eighties. And, um, you know, some, it, some of it's worse than other things, but it's definitely stuff that stands out. Um, that being said, it is just incredibly entertaining. And like, it's just the sagas are fun. Like each thing, like you wouldn't think spending, um, so many episodes on like a, a tournament would be fun. But then I thought of Cobra Kai and I'm like, Oh wait, would I do a whole season of Cobra Kai where they go through like just the tournament? I was like, the tournament stuff is awesome in Cobra Kai. It was awesome in Dragon Ball Z, but they would fight, like, they would each episode would be a different match in the tournament and it would go through the whole bracket and they actually made it compelling and like fun to watch. Um, and they do get and- away from that a little bit as well in Dragon Ball Z where, in in the later sagas when they had like Majin Buu, that's kind of where I fell off. They would have like the setup of like a tournament, but then the tournament would be interrupted by the saga kind of beginning, like the villain kind of showing up and then setting the course yeah. for the season. Yeah. I'm excited to get to Z because obviously Z is very different than Dragon Ball. This focuses more on the invent adventure aspect and, and things like that. And it is, has that kind of childlike innocence throughout it. And it's a little bit slower paced and stuff like that, but um, I'm pumped. I'm like, I'm f- firing through this. I'm excited to get to the Piccolo stuff because that's the Dragon Ball OG Dragon Ball that I remember. Cause I think that's the only saga I probably watched. Cause I remember Piccolo being in Dragon Ball Z and my, from my memory, I don't have a great memory, but like, 
my memory of being a kid is going, oh, I remember that guy. He was a villain in Dragon Ball, and now he, he, they do something different with him in, in Dragon Ball Z, obviously. But um, well, he I'm, starts off as a villain too, a little bit in Dragon Ball yeah. Z, because the end of of from what I remember, because he you know detaches from Kami and then becomes Piccolo, mm-hmm. and then you have this whole thing of him kind of being that final villain in that last saga. But then when Dragon Ball Z starts, he's still a character who for the most part is an anti-hero sure, type yeah. on the outskirts. That's what like I he'll, remember, yeah. he'll fight an alien villain like Raditz, who's Goku's brother, but he's still kind of a villain type. Like he's not a part mm-hmm. of the group until after really the, mm-hmm. the, the whole event with, with Nappa and Vegeta, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no future spoilers. Um, I mean, I don't remember a lot of it. I don't want to know. <laughs> so, well, the, the, the other thing uh, that I think we, we you should mention as well, you know, having watched this, like, you know, we were talking a little bit about this with Invincible and, and mm-hmm. e- even with, with the boys. Like, I think Goku is actually a much more interesting sort of variation of Superman in that story. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Um, From what I remember and, and what I've seen so far again is like, um, and this does like, I think that's why I really like Invincible as well, because I think we even talked about this when we were watching Invincible and you even uh, brought it up with your brother, Kyle, I think of that. It reminded you of Dragon Ball Z a little bit, right? Like, and I think I'm like, oh, like a super R rated kind of modern superhero version of Dragon Ball. And like, that's kind of what Invincible and it's very different still. But um, I think that's one reason why I'm like, oh, I really like these hour long you know episodes and this big grand story and things like that with all these like crazy characters and stuff like that so uh i'm pumped like i um the emperor pilaf saga is a great way to introduce it like i like that his like a lot of the character names too of like even emperor pilaf and his minions being shu and my uh like for shu my dumpling and like uh again some of the characters in the tournament i think were a blast you had that like stinky guy and then uh um what was his name uh uh, and then you have master oh bacterian was his name and like uh uh having master roku and uh, roshi sorry not roku um goku and master roshi mixed together um krillin even like going back to krillin is like i forgot krillin was in dragon ball um that makes sense that he is and that goku met all these people when he was younger but like I only attribute Krillin to Dragon Ball Z. Uh, uh, and so it was fun to kind of see little baby Krillin in this tournament as well. Still bald and, as um, a dream. Yeah. Uh, looking like a true baby in this. <laughs> like just a little baby. Does little he still have boy. the, um, or maybe this is Dragon Ball Z. Cause I feel like a lot of like the flying and like the, like Kamehameha and the yeah. powers. Like Kamehameha is in this, but like, uh, you know, Goku's first, Kamehameha he learns from Master Roshi in this and, right. and Krillin doesn't know any of that stuff yet okay because the spinning disc was always something really cool yeah Krillin he hasn't did. I don't know if he learns that later in the series but he has not learned it yet um, and the flying he just Goku flies on the flying Nimbus still um, yeah uh, and stuff like that so it's just really fun world building man like they do such a good job with it like um uh, and even like the technology that they have and different things like that. Like, it's just so much fun having a blast. You're having Dragon a ball. ball. A so I will be ball. talking about a lot of uh, Dragon Ball over the next God knows how long. Like there's so many episodes. Um, I'm looking to try to get my hands on Dragon Ball Z Kai because I've heard from people, uh, you know, 
I think purists maybe like the OG version, which is like over 290 episodes or something. It's like over 9,000. Or no, or maybe it's over 300 episodes, but like Dragon Ball Z Kai cuts it down to 200 and something. Um, it's just a lot of Goku flying to the destination in the uh, yeah. voiceover. There is a lot of like, padding. On the sure. next episode of Dragon Ball Z, Goku is still on yeah. the way. Yeah, it's like there's so much padding. The intro is a full two minutes. Then there's also like a minute long on the previous episode of Dragon Ball. And then they recap everything for another minute and minute half. And then the end credits is like another two minutes. So really in a 22 minute episode, you're getting like 18 minutes probably or something like that. Um, I'm not complaining. It lets you fly through it. Um, But yeah, I'm going to try to watch Dragon Ball Z Kai, which was a redone version of Dragon Ball. They did, um, in the late 2000s into the 2010s where uh, they brought back the original manga uh, creator and writer. And then he condensed Dragon Ball Z to only include the stuff that was in the manga. So they took out all the filler stuff, um, rescanned everything that they had in 1080p as well as redrew some of the stuff that was missing and, and added some stuff as well as, gave it a new score, new voice acting, like fresh voice acting with all the same voice actors from the, uh, when they did it in the nineties, um, as well as, um, it's still in four by three. So they kept the original aspect ratio, at least in most regions, the American one, they kept it, um, and just kind of re put together all of them and kind of condensed everything. So people told me to watch that version, which I am actually really curious to see because I never, watched any of that version uh when it came out in the late 2000s it's just it's not streaming anywhere which is weird so like funimation that owns dragon ball z um and crunchyroll only have the original dragon ball for streaming on their service and dragon ball z kai is only available on blu-ray eric have i looked everywhere and i might buy all (laughs) four seasons and (laughs) it's four seasons as well as uh, the final sagas part one, two, and three. Um, so it's like, and that seven, doesn't include the movies either, right? Seven Blu-ray sets. The movies I would watch on Funimation cause they right. have them all. Um, Gotta get Lord Slug and Lord Garlic um, in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've looked it up, but like a lot of places because they came out a while ago, like are out of stock or maybe it's out of print or something. So I'm trying to find, and maybe you can help me of telling me to call, a certain blu-ray place or something like that maybe i'll go to like uh bluer or whatever um bay street video bay street and see if they can order it for me or if they have it in or something like that because i want to get them on blu-ray and watch it that way because i really want to give kai a shot so yeah uh, that's dragon ball that's what i've been watching so each week i will report back with how much dragon ball and what saga on the uh, next episode on. of <laughs> Untitled, Untitled Movie, Movie Podcast. Uh, have Matt's I thought still about watching it? Have I thought about going on Photoshop and creating one of those Dragon Ball title cards and then having at the beginning of each one of our episodes go dun, 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 and then like have the title of the episode pop up? I have. Uh, will I do it? Who knows? I mean, um, I like I said, I will definitely start watching with you when you get into Dragon Ball Z because I do. Like it's been a very long time since I've watched the show, and and again, like I. I think I finished near the end of Dragon Ball Z when I started to teeter off, and that was the Majin Buu saga. But 
Um, other than that, like I, I loved the Frieza stuff and, and, and cell and, and all that. So, and then like yeah. the cell saga ties back into the, the red ribbon army. So that's cool. I'm excited for that, for them to come back to And yeah, so you, you basically almost made it to the end because the Majin Buu saga is the final, um, Dragon Ball saga. There's also the God of the universe or gods of the universe saga, but I think those are in the movie resurrection F two different movies. So um, yeah, Majin Buu is the, uh, the last saga. So, um, but there's like a whole bunch of mini sagas within that. There's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight (laughs) mini sagas within Majin Buu. So, uh, okay. Eric, what else have you been watching? Uh, well, I watched the documentary Fire of Love, which will be playing at the Lightbox uh, starting this week, actually, on July 22nd. It's already playing uh, in limited release in the U.S. through National Geographic and uh, Neon. Uh, it is about uh, Maurice and Katja Croft, uh, the French uh, volcanologists who uh, sadly perished uh, in the early 90s, but contributed uh, quite a bit of scientific research and analysis and uh, documents through um, photographs and video and, and film on uh, volcanoes uh, around the world and kind of helped to better understand how to uh, evacuate a location, but also just how the world works. And you see this couple, you know, it's all archival footage. There's no new inserts of talking heads or experts or historians kind of going on about it. It's just mostly from the point of view of the crafts and sort of learning about, you know, their passion uh, for volcanoes and less of an interest in society in general and how they kind of were able to create a life you know exploring these very dangerous landscapes but also at the same time you know brought it to the world and sort of made it a a a magnifying glass and sort of were able to kind of discover that so it's it's definitely a, a well worth you know, watching movie, especially if you can see it theatrically, I had to watch a screener link, but um, the, the sound design, the boxed in aspect ratio, because again, you know, the film is just basically all footage from the craft um, archive and, and the estate. So you're, they're using a lot of footage of, of video and photographs kind of all assembled together. Miranda July uh, does the voiceover, um, the narration throughout uh, Sarah Dossa is the uh, director. And yeah, it's just a really fascinating look at like how two people who for the most part felt lonely were brought together by their same kind of shared passion and how the thing they loved ultimately ended up being their demise, but at least they were together and it kind of is more focused on them as a couple and sort of, it is very playful at times throughout. It's not all doom and gloom, even though um, the film is very much upfront with the outcome of uh, the couple. So yeah, fire of love. It's really good. Cool. Anything else? Yeah, Firestarter sucks. Ah, uh, I watched you're on a that fire kick. Yeah, I watched that last night actually, and uh, I really didn't mind uh, the director of this. Um, his last movie, uh, Keith Thomas, he did a film called The Vigil um, that played at uh, TIFF uh, in the uh, uh, 
Midnight Madness section a few years ago. And it was a kind of a really solid, small kind of um, sort of haunted house kind of movie, sort of looking at it from the point of view of um, Judaism and sort of uh, how, you know, the the process of mourning and, and watching over a body plays out. It was really well done. Um, this is not, uh, being a Stephen King adaptation, uh, it's just so choppy and there's no real direction. It kind of feels like they're trying to take the Marvel template and kind of like do an X-Men kind of movie with this character that's been, I mean, the, the original Firestarter movie that's based on the Stephen King um, novel wasn't that great either. It had um, Martin Sheen and, and, and casting that would not fly today with George C. Scott playing uh, an indigenous character. Uh, now you have Michael Gray eyes in the role that, uh, uh, George C. Scott played in the, in the 80s version. The 80s version starred uh, Drew Barrymore as this child who could start fires and, you know, had to be kind of guided on this journey of her figuring out what to do with them as her and her father, played by David Keith in the original movie, and then in this version, uh, Zac Efron sort of on the run from the government. It's really awful. Like, it's one of those Blumhouse productions where it's like... It could have been one of those like uh, those horror Amazon releases. Like they could have just put it online, and it's right. it's unfortunate because which like, they did, didn't they? Like it was on Peacock or something. Yeah, yeah, but it? but 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 Amazon they they every year now they seem to do like they have like the, yeah they have the like Welcome to the Blumhouse house yeah. yeah and they release like the the we saw one of those of really bad stuff. ones yeah at TIFF remember it was yeah. The, toronto based one or whatever yeah and so like watching it you're kind of like okay this kind of fits into that kind of level of blumhouse movie but again it's a shame because like i i I do like a stephen king adaptation again firestarter was never my favorite but like at least with that original movie it had some charm because it was mostly practical effects and kind of you know interesting performances and actors at the time that you know wouldn't necessarily get those kind of roles then but now it's like with all the 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 materials that they have and all the the revenue and resources, it's like there's no excuse to make this bad of a movie. And I wonder if it was taken away from the director because it does kind of feel like it is manhandled a little bit by the studio system. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but it could just be it's just not good. Like, or maybe the material true. and the filmmaker just didn't you know come together. It just yeah, it's it's one of the bottom of the barrel stephen king adaptations and it's one of the worst movies of the year i gave it a one out of five like it's like that bad so <laughs> love to hear it yeah uh i haven't been watching uh much else i'm trying to think from the tv side of things better call saul is back uh so i did watch the premiere sort of premiere i guess because it's the premiere of uh season six b so the second half of uh, season six, um, fantastic, uh, follow up to the, uh, you know, mid season finale. Um, I'm very curious to see where the show goes from here. There's five episodes left and I'm like, Oh, I don't, I have no idea what else they're going to cover. Like they've pretty much covered. I mean, we're not right up to the breaking bad timeline, but they've kind of, tied up everything that they sort of needed to. I know that there's a couple things and I just can't imagine what five more hours is going to be like. Uh, I assume 
light spoilers. I'm not spoiling anything from this season, but like if you watch Better Call Saul, like there are flash forwards to Saul Goodman after Breaking Bad as he's a Cinnabon manager in Omaha, <laughs> Nebraska. Um, and those are all done in black and white. And so the Gene storyline, which is his, his pseudonym when he's uh, hiding, um, they haven't gone to that yet. So I'm wondering like if the last couple episodes or the last episode will be fully in the post breaking bad, like gene timeline. And I know we're also in confirmed- the Alexander Payne timeline, Nebraska, because yeah. he was in yeah. Nebraska. <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, and-, and it was in black and white. <laughs> there you go. Maybe it's the same universe. Yeah. Um, and then we know we're going to see Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul. And I'm curious of how they're going to make that work too. Cause we know they had never met, Saul until the start of Breaking Bad. Maybe Jesse met him and that's how uh, they get him to help Badger or whatever. Is it Badger that he helps at the beginning of Breaking Bad or season two? But um, I'm excited. I mean, I, I love the Breaking Bad universe. I think Better Call Saul could be someone on the internet put this very well being like uh, Walt and Jesse are the main characters of Breaking Bad, but Saul Goodman is the main character of that entire timeline that whole universe because he's in from season two right up to the end of breaking bad and we had six seasons of him in better call saul so like i really do think saul like saul goodman is the main character of that saga or whatever you want to call it if we're going into sagas so like i think better call saul is maybe even better than breaking bad and it i know a lot of people fell off of it because it started slow and it is you know breaking bad was slow at times too um, but I highly suggest like if you really liked Breaking Bad and you fell off of Better Call Saul, like it is some of the better prequel storytelling uh, I have ever seen. Like it it adds to stuff but doesn't retcon things. Like it just it adds context or adds things that you that obviously were never planned or they they you know, weren't thinking of it when they were making Breaking Bad, but like the way that they kind of add to Breaking Bad that makes you go, Ooh, I would like to rewatch Breaking Bad with now this six years of context I have for the Saul Goodman character and what led him to those moments of working with Walt and Jesse and then how he works with them throughout the series. Like I think is really, really clever and, and never feels cheap. Like it never feels like, ah, okay, now we're supposed to know that this was there the whole time or X, Y, Z or whatever. Um, like it never feels cheap and always add, feels like it's adding something. And like, I think Vince Gilligan is really good at that. And Peter Gould, who, who does the majority of, of this series and, and I'm excited to see where they go. I just, uh, they definitely like in the last couple episodes, I'm like, Okay, that moved very quickly, and we're at a point where I'm like, I don't know what you get for five more hours, and uh, but so that excites me because I have no idea where they're going to go. So uh, I'm pumped for that. That was on the next uh, episode of Better Call Saul. (laughs) (laughs) The Walt and Jesse saga begins. (laughs) uh, I'm I'm super pumped to see where they go. So uh, Saul Goodman's one of the the, I think the better uh, Jimmy McGill. One of the better TV characters, uh, I think, uh, of all time. So, so you would um, definitely say that the show is Saul Good. Saul Goodman. Uh, so I've been watching that. Uh, <laughs> trying to think of what else, what else on TV or movies I've been watching. I think that's pretty much it from my end. I don't know if I've texted you that I've been watching anything else. I forget. But uh, let me um, check. Or what you've been watching. 
I rewatched because uh, John Woo just received um, a yeah. uh, honorary uh, award or achievement for. Um, oh, this is good. I'll send this to you as I'm talking to you um, at Fantasia Fest uh, for a, a career award. So between that and also watching RRR, the way that I felt watching RRR was the same way I felt the first time watching Hard Boiled, and it had been a while since I had watched Hard Boiled, and I kind of feel like. John Woo, before he came to America, was one of the greatest action filmmakers ever. And then as soon as he got here, as much as I like Hard Target, I think Hard Target's a lot of fun. But even that movie is more um, kind of like cut together in terms of like Sam Raimi style. And like you watch the trailer to that movie, then you watch the film. There's a lot of stuff that's missing in in the movie um, to the point where like it, it's there's not a lot of logic when it comes to hard target i feel like both john woo and chow young fat were like this amazing director actor duo that just never translated but then when you have some time and you kind of go back to when they were making you know movies like like hard boiled you were like okay i totally get it but then you go and watch something like mission impossible 2 and you're kind of like okay this is just a parody of of who Wu was and to the point where like after that, it just kind of feels like it's a downward spiral, you know, with movies like wind talkers and things like that. A face off is fun as well, but you watch hard boiled based off and you're like, okay, like I get why like cinema changed so much sure. with how action movies were made. And even today there's still moments in that film. Like there's this one tracking shot in particular where you're just like, wow, this is incredible. And we talked about this before with the, with the gray men where, the characters in this, you kind of feel like, okay, they 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 can get out of a scenario, but they're not necessarily going to get out unscathed. And you always kind of worry about their well-being, whether it be Chow Young-Fat's character. Like, there's this one amazing sequence that takes place in a hospital with babies, and you're just like, holy crap, are these kids going... Are we, am I going to see a kid get shot? <laughs> and, and you're watching it, and you're just like, no, this is like just masterfully well-made storytelling with great action that's always creative and inventive in the same way that I felt watching RRR recently. So, again, endorsing RRR, but also if you haven't seen Hard Boiled or it's been a while and you kind of are still sullied on John Woo of the 2000s, that's okay, but go back and watch Hard Boiled because it is an action masterpiece. Love it. Yeah. Love it. I I will go back and get that photo I sent you. Uh did you just send me something? Yeah. <laughs> Since we were talking about <laughs> Yeah, someone someone tweeted this last night. So Eric just sent me a photo. You guys can just Google Brian Cranston beard or something like that. But um <laughs> The tweet is really good too. It's like Brian Cranston is Willem Dafoe as Robin Williams in Jumanji, which is the perfect way to describe that photo. And I guess this was at the MLB uh, celebrity game uh, yesterday. I think that should so, be the photo for our thumbnail for this episode. I, I can, I can do that. Absolutely. We did talk about uh, Brian. what an incredible, incredible photo. Um, I want to talk about, we both watched the finale of Ms. Marvel. I think mm. this is the best spot or we can do a separate thing on Ms. Marvel, but like, I don't know if we need it's to too late, we probably man. just like, yeah, we're I not cool we can, enough. I think we can do it here. Um, so I do kind of want to talk about it 
with spoilers though. So Well maybe it, you could we could say, okay, we're gonna talk about it spoilers from here. If you don't want to listen, skip this segment, then you can yeah, mark it in the um in the notes. So yeah, we are gonna talk spoilers for Miss Marvel. Um if you haven't watched it yet or you don't want to no spoilers or anything like that, please look at the show notes. You'll find when the next topic is usually on YouTube. There is, you can click right on it and it'll jump there. Or if you're listening it to it on podcast services, just look in these show notes and then you can kind of skip to uh, where you need to go. Cause I would like to talk because there's some things in the post credit scenes. I, I, I do want to talk about or at the end of the episode. So uh, starting now we will be talking about miss Marvel spoilers uh okay uh eric how did you feel overall now that the show's done i think we're both on like kind of a similar page um uh about miss marvel now that we've seen the whole thing yeah i think it's one of the 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 better um additions in phase four of of marvel overall i i think looking at both the films and television everything that we've gotten up to this point because i'm sure we're going to do a bonus episode uh, on the Comic-Con stuff, unless it's all on the weekend. It's, when is it? It's next weekend, which I, okay. I think attached to this, I would like to talk about some predictions and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So so everything that we've gotten so far, I would say that Ms. Marvel, Loki, and WandaVision are the three best shows, but I would also say that they are even better than the uh, the majority of the films that we've gotten so far. Now, I like... Spider-Man No Way Home quite a bit and I like Shang-Chi um as well. But of the of the overall productions in terms of how satisfying they were, how they kind of added a little bit of a, a kind of create creative flourish throughout, I would say that Ms. Marvel kind of felt the most lively and the most kind of in tune with the character's personality um to the point where like Eamon Villani is just so charismatic and likable and and charming and understands how to play the character really well but also again you know you can understand the maturity that she's going through with both you know dealing with her family but also kind of you know confronting this new kind of world that she's been brought into even though she's a very much a fan of it um i i think the only real sort of criticism i have is i think the villains of the piece were poorly bottom tier (laughs) constructed and it's not even necessarily that they're bad it's just that the show kind of rushed them in a way that kind of felt almost like oh we have to find a villain so let's shoehorn these characters in last minute even though their story isn't isn't worth telling it's just that it kind of felt rushed and it kind of felt like like a lot of it was you know like they just kind of cut corners there jumping off of that like wouldn't it have been better and i hate you know backseat writer here obviously these people are way better (laughs) at creating these stories than we are but like uh that's why they have these jobs but i just feel like especially in marvel still hasn't figured out television storytelling yet and i see a lot of people kind of criticizing this and i um i've seen it on tiktok and just commentary around and I, i kind of agree with everyone where it's like all of these shows were shot kind of like during the pandemic or or all at the same time right and i feel like marvel hasn't had time to kind of look at some of the criticisms of their of their you know disney plus offerings and tried to improve on that stuff yet because i really do feel like they're putting these out there like they are 
six hour movies or five hour movies if each episode's 45 minutes or something like that which which means the pacing is off and i feel like the storytelling should be different than what it is in the marvel films like that's why i feel like in the boys and invincible and um you know, better the rehearsal Paul Saul and like the rehearsal it's like uh, <laughs> television has a specific format and marvel tried to come in there and go well we're going to give you a movie over six hours and don't get me wrong a lot of mini series are that or feel like that and different things like that well, Watchmen like, as well right Watchmen, but they still feel like television and i i feel like there's a disconnect there where if i'm looking at miss marvel i think i, I adored it as well uh, i really liked it it is one of my favorite um phase four projects so far um i think i like shang chi and spider-man more but it would be right up there with them but even when I you look at my ranking, it feels lower than it should be. It's just because I like a lot of the MCU. Going back to my point uh, with the villains and just the show's pacing in general, um, I feel like something like that, introducing that crew. Um, the clandestines, right? The clandestines and uh, Comron and all of that stuff. And when you had damage control right here, who are really the villains of this series, right? Um, shoehorning the clandestines thing, other than giving us exposition of who Kamala is in her history, which I think you could have done without them. Um, it feels like you could have introduced them and built that out way more for a season two. You know what I mean? Like if you build out Comron and you build out the clandestines and you give each one of those people some more character and some more relationships with Kamala that like you could have easily had damage control because you're trying to touch on a lot of the race stuff in the U S and, and, and just social commentary on just, you know, religious uh, prejudice, religious prejudice and different things like that, that making damage control the villains is, is an interesting thing. And they ultimately were, but then shoehorning all the clandestines thing is is like in television you should have kept that for a season two and i know you can't guarantee that you're going to get a season two and all that i think they can guarantee yeah i think marvel can where that's the television style you know world building and and storyline building you want and you know you could have easily had her go into the marvels and picked up in a season two with the clandestines and built out that story a little bit more and i feel like you could have given kamala's backstory without you know it just felt so weirdly paced of introducing them as allies immediate heel turn immediate gone damage control is the villain now <laughs> and dealing with Comron a little bit of being conflicted but it just feels like marvel's getting like the last couple episodes of their shows always feel rushed to to you know it is a third act of a movie right like in a, in a movie it doesn't feel rushed because you've sat down in one sitting and it's paced over two and a half hours but when you spread these things out over five hours six hours um but you pace it like a movie i feel like that's where the disconnect for me is happening in a lot of the marvel shows where ultimately i i enjoy more than i don't like i still even liked hawkeye i still liked like the major Falcon and the winter soldier. Like I still would say that like 
I enjoyed them, but they also both fall apart at the end, right? And then this doesn't fall apart at the end. I think it sticks the landing. Uh, and Loki as well. I think a lot of that's with the the Kang the Conqueror stuff really helps at the end of that. And then WandaVision, well, WandaVision the, works the because of the format, yeah, right? Yeah. Because it is kind of following television in general. So yes. the format is is its structure. Ironically, the first thing that they did, they understood television and then the rest felt like movies, right? And so I think that's where the disconnect's happening with me. And I still think that they, we might see it in the next phase of Marvel Disney plus shows, because I still think she Hulk and, and the rest of phase four is all shot around the same time. And it, maybe Loki season two uh, is going to be the first thing where we'll kind of see them kind of going, Oh, what did people like and not like about our first batch of Disney plus shows? And like, how can we make this, if we are making season twos to some of these shows, how can we make this feel like TV, but on a big budget movie level, instead of just feeling like, a movie with a lesser budget spread out over six hours. Like that's how they feel to me. Like, but that's and, also no excuse because like, yeah. I feel like, like we, we talked, we gushed about how Barry is able to take yeah. one episode and, and storylines that could continue longer, but resolves them in a way in one episode that kind of feels like little kind of problem solving moments. Yeah. And I think like, Marvel and and the the writing rooms for these you know series they have the capabilities of doing that they need to format better obviously yeah. but like you can you can condense you know like a, a saga or series worth of 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 writing um into a season you can do it it, it is possible and like a dragon ball <laughs> yeah exactly but 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 marvel has enough time to do it it's not I it's know, not yeah. about like oh well we only had six hours you had six hours i to know that sh i shouldn't be saying you only had six hours and then it felt rushed at the end right and yeah. i love your point of each episode feeling like its own I'm not saying it needs to be completely self-contained because obviously one of the things about television is that it's going to leave you on a cliffhanger to make you want to come back for the next episode that I understand. Um, but yeah, there's something, there's just something slightly missing from the majority of them. And you mentioned like there are tons of other shows, Barry, the boys like um, that are able to kind of, have these episode arcs, but then season arcs, and then feel like they cram so much storytelling into a limited runtime, especially in Barry's case, without um, it ever feeling like it's it's like you're getting too much of a dense experience. Like that's the other thing that mm -hmm. Barry does so well, where you're watching it and a lot is going on in that you know half an hour hour timeline, but it never feels like you're being kind of like overwhelmed by it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I probably sound way more negative than uh, I am. Like, I really, really liked Miss Marvel for all of the same reasons that uh, that you mentioned, Eric. I think just maybe the clandestines left a little bit of a sour um, taste in my mouth when it comes to it. But, like, um, I thought Amon Vellani is fantastic. I cannot wait to see her interact with other people in the MCU. And especially kind of, like, we're so far into the MCU now that you can have a character who is kind of like an audience representative who is a fangirl of all of the same characters, a lot of the audiences. And I think that's going to be like a lot of fun, uh, hopefully not grading, but like, uh, but fun to see her interact with the rest of the MCU and these people that she idolizes. Um, 
I thought the the flourishes throughout the the stylistic flourishes throughout the show were great. I almost wish we got more of them. Um, they kind of come and go in weird spots, but like uh, I do agree with you that the the show embodied the personality of the character and felt very much. Uh, I love all the family dynamic. I think is the best stuff in the show. Um, go listen to. I, I know I I say listen to kind of funny all the time, but. Uh, Tamur Hussein was on all of their Miss Marvel reviews and uh, he just had a great kind of view on the entire series and and of the representation of it all, but how it showcases community and like how, you know, this is a, a group that is often vilified in American media. Um, so it was just kind of nice to get a show that just, you know, showcases their culture and showcases their family dynamics and just like, has you know you know i know kamala khan's been a hero in the comics for so long but it is just uh so nice to kind of be at the forefront of her own series and 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 it's a big deal and i think it does all of that stuff super super well it does more good things than bad things like the villains it's like all right the the superhero stuff of it all is like yeah i like her powers how they look like i like how they interpreted them like i think there were some cool sequences but ultimately it was like kamala's stuff her friends her family like that stuff is the best stuff in the show it's a and, good support um, system and even the like and i i mentioned this from a production side of it like it also looked the nicest out of the marvel tv shows for me because i think maybe there was less uh, green screen and less volume stuff where it did feel like they were shooting on location, whether it was a set like a house or outside or um, even the stuff uh, at the partition. Um, Which I think is important to is mention. Like, yeah, it looks because, great. And that episode is great, too. Because that's something where we've talked about this before and how Marvel can sometimes handle either historical issues or um, personal issues in a way that kind of feels like they're a little bit out of their league. Like sure. you know, we talked about this with Moon Knight with, you know, um, uh, mental, mental illness and, yeah. and mental health and, 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 and with that, but we also like, I mean, even though it's not a, a Marvel studios thing, but even like, you know, that one scene in X-Men apocalypse, you know, when they're outside of Auschwitz, you know, things like that, it's just kind of like, okay, this, like I get that it takes place in the real world and, and Magneto's character, you know, is, is, is connected to the Holocaust and, and what have you, but there's you a way know, to do that. That's yeah. That's, where this, yeah. this, I think again, you know, this is coming from a white guy sure. in Canada, but I think that they handled this much better, even though it's not a full, you know, historical historically accurate experience obviously but at least it kind of you know introduced it in a way that said okay like this is what the british did you know with the partition mm -hmm. and 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 this is the ramifications like it is actually up front with the horrors of colonialism and yeah. i was kind of like oh wow this this is you know really powerful and poignant and and like it's not mincing its words when it comes to showing what the ramifications were of, of, of this horrible sort of act of oppression. Um, I think that's a, a great point. And we talk yeah. about it a lot, that genre, whether it's superhero or horror or anything like that can like really add 
his two historical contexts and show people something that they might have not been super familiar with or kind of thematically show you something interesting from the characters from those times, even though it's not completely based in reality. Yes, there was no time travel or anything like that. But like, I, I think it handled it very well as, as well. And I loved that whole episode, even though it was a little bit of a detour that adds to some of those pacing issues that I'm talking about. But like that episode alone, like those two leads in that episode, um and their love story is just absolutely wonderful and um it was some of the best stuff as well in, in Miss Marvel. So I think it's great. I have it kind of like I gave it four stars. I, I really, really liked it. And um I have it kind of I think I had it at 16, which is like almost smack dab in the middle of of my Marvel rankings. I think it's just when I went back to rank it, I was like, man, like a lot of the movies and the big budget storytelling is just a little bit more of my jam where I really, really liked this, but some of those things were creeping in of the pacing issues and the villain issue that made me rank it still in that upper half of the MCU, but lower than a lot of the movies when I went back and I was like, Oh, I kind of like that a little bit more of that, a little bit more of that, a little bit more, but that just shows you like, if I have something I gave four stars to that is like number 16 in the MCU. Um, I just really like that upper half of the MCU. I think the lower half gets a little bit more of a mixed bag of like, Oh, those were kind of enjoyable to those weren't so enjoyable, but, um, really liked Miss Marvel. Um, and Eric, where did you have it in your ranking? You had it like top 10, didn't you? Uh, 11, 11. Um, yeah, I really, I really liked it again. Like it's one of those things where we have like our, our lists, you know, sometimes there are uh, a kind of, similarity and when comparing them but i do feel like we both deviate a little bit when it comes to the mcu stuff so i'm just looking it up right now yeah um, we have a lot of the there are some big deviations i really like civil war which you do not no um yeah so i have at 11 um yeah. which is it's it's right uh loki is at 10 ms marvel's at 11 and then avengers the first avengers is at 12 it, it's one of those series where again like i just felt it was a breath of fresh air and something different and kind of felt like the same way that like it, it's able to tap into the character, the way that the Spider-Man movies really embraced the kind of fun nature and the, and the goodwill of Peter Parker in the same way that we got with Kamala Khan, you know, like yeah, I, 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 I want really to see those two characters see... interact yeah. so bad. Like all the, I can't wait for young Avengers or whatever they're going to do um, with some of the younger characters. But my number one's Iron Man three and apparently half the world hates it. So I was going to bring that up. I was like, Hey, you know what we both agree on? I don't have it at my number one, but I definitely have it higher than most people at number eight um, is Iron Man three. And I could go even higher with Iron Man three on a good day. Um, I love Iron Man 3. I know you love Iron Man 3. And people don't give Iron Man 3 enough goddamn respect because it is a good movie. And it is one of the better MCU outings. And I don't know why people don't like it. <laughs> like it deals with Tony's PTSD in a really interesting way. I think Shane Black's personality is throughout the whole movie. I like that they ripped the Iron Man suit away from Tony Stark. And he has to kind of just use his Tony Starkness to get through things. I like the kid relationship in it. That Air Force One sequence is fucking awesome. It's How a they great... recontextualize the, the Mandalor- Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The Mandarin. Mandarin. (laughs) Like, I think that reveal is awesome because I think uh, the first half of the movie, uh, the Mandarin is is super menacing in in a really cliched way, but like in a really 
fun, cool way. And I think that reveal is fucking awesome. Like Trevor Slattery is hilarious and Ben Kingsley absolutely crushes it. And I think it is a great political thriller. Like it just kind of embraces that with the, like the U S president and like and the a buddy comedy sequence, the buddy comedy element of it. Um, it's a Christmas movie. Sure. Does Shane the Blackwise. last act kind of fall apart a little bit with the, you know, but I like all the Iron Man suits coming in and fighting um, Sammy Jenkins and like, um, uh, uh, remember Sammy Jenkins. <laughs> Guy well, he, Pier- that's the weakest like, part is yeah. the villain. And also yeah. I, I think how like they misuse stuff is not great. Rebecca either, Hall yeah. as well, which I was disappointed yes. by. Yeah. But also, Rebecca I mean, Hall should have been the actual villain, but yeah. yeah. And, and such a waste of a really great actor. Um, or even just using, you know, uh, blue by uh, Eiffel 65. I, dude, is the best Marvel Studios intro. Like when that kicked off and seeing Happy in 1999 with Tony and like, I like all that backstory with Rebecca Hall's character and it, it makes that, like, I don't think her character is super well used because she is a great actress and like, I, I feel like she could have been uh, utilized better and you almost forget that she was in the MCU. Yeah. Um, I, and then Guy Pierce. Yeah, I like Guy Pierce, but like, yeah, the villain in that movie, like the Mandarin stuff is great, but the um, Aldrich the Killian stuff, uh, the Aldrich <laughs> Aldrich Killian stuff isn't isn't great. So it, like that, it works in the kind of way that it's like it kind of like okay, well, we created this faux, you know, Asian character, and the real puppet yeah, master behind yeah. it is a corporate white guy. Yes, the, I like that, that. kind of works, but, but yeah, all the character the, himself is uninteresting. The getting those powers and shit with all those like uh, the army vets that are exploding and stuff like that, like that shit is is not great. They probably could have done something a little bit more interesting, but like again, I like the look I, though of the people like overheating, like James Bashdale. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I actually and so I, people ask why you like it, and I always just give them an answer back of like because it's a good movie. But you well, know, you just gave a really thoughts. good answer. Uh, so. I, I think it is underrated, and anyone I urge everyone to do an MCU rewatch and and still rank Iron Man three that low because come on, come on, everyone, it is good. It's good. It's really really good. Um, I think it was the first sign that Marvel started to do something, you know. Uh, different with their you know letting their directors kind of put their stamp on a movie is something we brought bring up a lot like i think you know obviously james gunn was james gunn before or after i think he was before because yeah because guardians is 2014 iron man 3 2013 so iron man 3 is before so yeah i feel like iron man 3 was that first step of going like oh let's bring in filmmakers that will actually have a voice and they can kind of put that in the movie and i feel like shane black's voice is is prominent throughout Iron Man. And once you get to a third or fourth film in like a solo series, it's almost like Marvel has other things to really focus on to the point where it's like, okay, well we need to kind of get these new characters in. So we'll put more time on them where it's like, you can do whatever you want with those. (laughs) Yeah. As long as like you don't kill them off or like you follow the continuity, you know, of what's going on. So anyways, Iron Man three, great. Probably should have put a time code that was different than Miss Marvel spoilers, but I want to get back to Miss Marvel spoilers. So side tangent of Iron Man three being underrated. Uh, I want to talk about the two, which can lead into our comic con predictions actually so we'll we'll keep this as miss marvel spoilers so um the two teases we get uh one was very unexpected to me and i didn't i should have seen it coming um but i didn't so it is revealed in the very Bruno last goes to scene. caltech <laughs> yeah 
What a shock. Um, yeah, Bruno is going to Caltech, but then he also reveals to Kamala uh, that her genes are different. Like there was a mutation. Oh God, it was so good. And I was like, I popped so hard for it to the point where I had to pause and rewind it. And I was like, did they really give us that twice in a month or like two months, I guess. And I was like, is this really, are they really going to go in on the X-Men nineties theme as the MCU Avengers or uh, X-Men theme? I'm like, I'm all for that. I guess they own it and they're doing X-Men 97, which we should hear more about soon but um just that little thing of the x-men theme as she said as as he says she's a mutant or has a mutation in her genes um i think is awesome and like it i think it is a great way to kind of make kamala different in the mcu and 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 sort of start teasing that mutants are a thing in the mcu um, I really do think they're going to go that route of like the snap is the thing that kind of when people came back is going to be the thing that kind of uh, activated the X gene in people. Like I think it was dormant in in everything until then. I don't know how you get around then with Magneto's story and, and things like that. I don't know, but that's my prediction there. But Well, isn't um, Tiara, Tiana Paris's character from WandaVision uh, also a mutant now? Because she kind of went through the Wanda, like the, the, the bubble, right? Yeah. I, I mean, we can hypothesize that a bunch of people are mutants, right? Like you would think maybe uh, Wanda is, right? Like they, like you'd, you'd expect yeah. that she was and just never knew. So like maybe she was experimented on, right? Like with one of the Infinity Stones, right? Yeah. So I feel like the reveal there is going to be that the infinity stones, something that happened with when Thanos is snap or the activation of them is going to be that thing that activated the X gene. And then that's why mutants haven't really been a thing until now in this universe of, of the MCU. Um, so I'm, I'm all for that. I don't really care that she's not an inhuman. I think people who are, is, like the, is she an inhuman in the comics? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she's an inhuman in the comics and they made her a mutant in the MCU and people don't comics fans really don't like that, which I, my thing to comics fans is like, just, you have the comic universe. You have like, Black just, Bolt, man. Like, Come on. yeah, just <laughs> keep them there. Um, like I just like, not everything needs to be a one-to-one like thing. Ratio. Like yeah. just let people kind of change things and do different things because it's a different interpretation of the character. It's just like, she doesn't have like i think being a mutant makes more sense and is more interesting in the mcu than her being an inhuman that doesn't mean the inhumans can't still be a thing is like black bolt baby i we've got black bolt exists in the multiverse so the inhumans exist in the multiverse so like does this are inhumans on 616 i don't know but kamala being uh an uh, an x-men an x-woman um is is cool i think and i i don't know where they take that of her being the first person to kind of think that she's in but that leaves her open to being in young avengers it leads her to be in captain marvel movies and she can now also be probably a familiar face that appears uh in whatever marvel does with the x-men movies so uh, i think there's another mutant coming along this year as well and i think it's namor yeah which Um, is pretty much confirmed to be in uh, Black Panther like they haven't like I'm sure at Comic-Con next week they'll bring everyone out and say who everyone's playing because like it's wild that that movie comes out in a few months but we like 
don't know who the villain is. We don't know any of the plot. Like there are been those like leaks here and there of like, oh, this person is playing Namor or this person, yada, yada, yada. There's a big one out there that I don't know if you saw Eric, but I hope people don't see it because I saw it. (laughs) And it was on the same level of seeing Krasinski in uh, Doctor Strange. Was it Jason Siegel? No, I I read that. I don't think that's true. (laughs) I I can't fathom that being true, but like- That'd be good though. um, I'm I'm for it. I like Forgetting Jason Siegel, Storm. but like <laughs> I like Jason Siegel. I just can't picture it. But like that's part of the fun of this, all right? So I didn't I didn't see it. I, I'm I'll, now curious. Yeah, I'll, Text I'll, me I'll tell you after. Yeah, I'll send yeah. you the image right now. But because I don't care me. about this kind of stuff, like I, I don't, I'm just more I do interested and I don't. in like the world building in general. And like yeah, I'm sure the Comic Con thing will be fun. Like in terms of like what we don't know, and I'm sure we'll get even more leaks like leading up to the weekend but, yeah um, so quickly before yeah. we go into comic-con um you can touch on um the x-men if you want or the i just want to quickly the the post-credit scene was kamala in her bedroom um and she kind of gets zipped away after she touches the bangle and uh captain marvel um appears in her closet as she smashed through it and it seems that she has swapped places with carol danvers which is going to lead uh, right into the plot of the Marvels, which Nia DaCosta is directing, and she—it uh, was confirmed that she did direct that post-credit scene as well. So, Eric, you can touch on either of those things if you want, or we can go right into Comic Con stuff. But yeah, I mean, I was a little confused with that scene because at first I almost thought that she transformed into Captain Marvel because the way that that Brie Larson looks at her hands in that moment, I thought it was like this weird, like, yeah. kind of like she now has freaky the, Friday. Yeah. Well, now she has now the powers as well to like transform into other people or something yeah. like that. That like, is from the comics as well that she does. Uh, like it, her first appearance in the comic, she turns into like, she can morph her body into looking morph. like other people. I can't, I hope we get morph in the MCU. Um, and uh but that's the they confirm that that's not um what she's doing here so she they, switched they switched spots, spots with her yeah okay so kamala's floating out in space and then yeah. uh well she's probably i mean like because at the end of wandavision you had monica rambo or is it or uh maria or monica maria, yeah monica is the maria was the one that was in doctor strange as captain marvel yeah which is so the mom Mon- Monica yeah, and then is Monica. The yeah, because Monica at the end of WandaVision is basically recruited to go on a mission, right? Mm. To kind of, it, it's almost alluded that she's going to join up with Captain Marvel. So it it kind of feels like Kamala will probably be with with Monica at that point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, yeah it, I, like I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a fun movie, and like it'll it'll be a a, a wild ride um but i yeah it's just one of those things where it's like the x-men stuff is going to be really fascinating even just with deadpool now as well like because there's been a lot of talk about that movie already in pre-production with like you know production designers and set designers and and art directors all being kind of hired so you know like when you bring him into it are you bringing in the version that we've seen in those last two movies because i mean obviously that character is actually associated with the old you know marvel x-men films too so Mm -hmm. i think that's a perfect segue into the comic-con stuff is like i i do think that i think the big thing they'll focus on is black panther uh wakanda forever which i feel like they will show a trailer i think that's when the trailer will drop for us as well i think we'll be right after people see it uh at comic-con i think they'll bring everyone out on stage for that um 
and kind of introduce Namor, introduce kind of the villains of the movie. I think Namor will be the villain of the movie. Um, and I'm curious after that, where they go, like, do they announce part of phase five or the end of phase four? Um, do they, cause we know we have D 23 coming out, uh, coming up, which is September 9th. The first weekend of TIFF is also D 23. So your anniversary is um, coming up too. Yeah. That's uh, if Nevis and I celebrate that one still, cause we have our wedding. Oh, now you have your wedding now. anniversary. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure we'll do something small uh, moving forward uh, at September 12th. Um, so it should be interesting of, do they have like a big end cap to phase four or does it go right into phase five? Cause like the phases usually have like an Avengers movie that ends the phase. Right. So like, are we going to get that team up movie that ends phase four um, or is it just going to go, oh, the end of phase four is quantum mania, or I forget what's slated after that. But like, well, we have, we have Ms. Marvel, quantum mania, Ant-Man and the Wasp in quantum mania. Uh, we have uh blade, which is in production secret invasion. And are all those going to be phase four stuff? I guess I, maybe secret invasion is the end of phase four. Cause like, that's a big crossover thing in, in the comics. What about um, Fantastic Four? You don't think that would be like maybe the the beginning of it, like the end of Phase Four into Phase Five? Because I do think what they might do with this panel is they might do that kind of Josh Brolin thing when they brought Brolin out to be Thanos, where they'll be like, okay, because Kevin Feige did say recently in an interview that it'll become clearer soon mm-hmm. what. So I think Comic Con the goal be that is, thing, right? yeah, and so like Doctor Doom or whoever is going to be like the big villain behind everything you think kang is where they're going maybe but like maybe kang is just a fantastic four or sorry not fantastic four um ant-man thing but it looks like he might be a bigger deal like well the um, way they set him up in loki they definitely made him to be kind of like multiple versions of him and i think quantum mania will be that thing that reveals more of where we're going maybe like and i think that could be interesting it being i'm very fascinated with quantum mania because i i I, peyton reed whatever fine um but i don't love those first two ant-man movies they've just never really been my thing like i think they're paul rudd is fun um i enjoy them uh, but to me, used to like Evangeline Lilly, but then she sided yeah. with the truckers. Yeah. Um, and I feel like those movies are just kind of throwaway to me, especially Ant-Man and the Wasp, um, where it's like disposable entertainment. I just kind of enjoyed them, but I don't think much of them where I think the third one has it feels like it could with kang being the villain well jonathan majors um, just being in it in jonathan general, majors right? is great and the rumors about um modok being in there with Corey stoll <laughs> Corey stoll coming back and playing modok like i think could be really interesting and like i'm i'm i think kang will be a big part of the mcu moving forward so that's why i'm really excited for that so i do think we're gonna get some stuff from um like the upcoming movies that we don't know much about, right? Like, I don't know if Comic-Con is going to be the thing to introduce a ton of new stuff. Like my big prediction is that they're just going to bring out a lot of the casts for the movies that we already kind of know about. And then I think D23 is going to be the place where they reveal phase five. The timeline. Yeah. Like the, the thing with Kevin Feige streaming it online kind of saying here's what the the future looks like although i could see them introducing 
like one thing or teasing one movie at Comic-Con at the end or well, something the like thing. that. They like, might introduce the thing. <laughs> um, like I do think we're going to bring out the casts of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Like I think that's where they will confirm like that Corey Stoll is in it um, and what Jonathan Majors and kind of the plot of that movie is. I don't know if you see any footage or anything like that, but like I, I could see them kind of bringing Corey Stoll out and being the the reveal that he is in the movie as as Modoc. Um I think that's probably going to happen. Um I think you bring out the cast of Guardians um and James Gunn and you you talk about uh you know Will Poulter as as Adam Warlock and maybe reveal who um Maria Baklova is playing and and Shakudi Uwuji Uwuji right from yeah uh, from peacemaker from right? peacemaker like i think maybe you bring them out and say who they're playing and uh i think uh uh daniela Mel- Mel- melchior is in it as well from, from uh, suicide the suicide squad, squad right yeah. catcher too right yeah so i think maybe you bring them out and kind of say what that movie is about and then finally um with the marvels i think jumping off of miss marvel you kind of uh maybe announce uh like i don't know who the villain is in that movie Do oh it's know? it's uh um i don't know the name of the character but the actor is uh zowie uh, ashton who um was in velvet buzzsaw with jake gyllenhaal and uh, right mr malcolm's right, right, list right. most recently yes i think okay, she's cool. in a relationship with uh tom hiddleston okay cool and yeah. park Siu june is in it as well who was in um uh god what recently did i see him in? and isn't isn't sam jackson um, back in the in the marvels as well i think so yeah oh parasite he was in parasite um the nice. the younger the younger guy in parasite yeah. um so i'm i'm super down for that and then so i think you a, probably will get like an announcement like because like we already know fantastic four is coming but maybe do you get a director will... announcement do you get a cast Peyton i think they say Reed, that baby no <laughs> well he's um, wanted that one too because he's been I know, on, but I... on record with like he will die for that movie. Like and he wants it bad. There are those rumors that they're trying to get a big name. There was obviously the Spielberg, Spielberg. thing, which was funny. <laughs> like, like I wouldn't be surprised if Kevin Feige called Spielberg's people and, and, and tried to gauge interest. Um, and the interest was probably like, no, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> like, thanks buddy. Um, I appreciate the offer, but I'm good. Um, I mean, Spielberg has been offered. I mean, like there was that time where everybody thought yeah. he, he was going to direct one of the the Star Wars prequels. He was offered the Harry Potter movies. You know, like he's very selective. Every franchise, I wouldn't be surprised if they call Spielberg and go, "Would you do one?" And he goes, "Nah." Saw <laughs> no. movies. I'll do Ready Player One, but I won't yeah. do your your thing. I mean, they uh, offered him Saw 3D, and he was yeah. like, "No." Thanks. So I. There are those things where they said they liked working with Sam Raimi on Doctor Strange because his experience and his name and and things like that, like with Kevin Feige being spread so thin over all of the different Marvel projects, there are those things of being like, oh, they want to hire, you know, sometimes an experienced filmmaker that can just go off and make the movie. And because, you know, when you hire a lot of these people, that, but still a um, company man. I think that's totally to note because that Sam is Raimi is a company guy. And Spielberg for the most part is as well, right? Like I feel like there are certain filmmakers, Ron Howard, um, that like JJ. Are, yeah, Abrams. JJ, like which he's doing all the DC stuff now. But I mean he jumped from Star Trek to Star Wars, so never say never. Um yeah. those types of guys, I think, are the guys that they're maybe and gals that they're looking at for for 
I think maybe the upper tier Marvel movies, maybe like a Fantastic Four or something like that, or X-Men. Someone um, with a little cachet that maybe isn't simply just a journeyman director. Yes. So I think that's what's making the Fantastic Four search interesting is like that seems to be from what I've read, like what they're going for. I don't know if they're going to get that kind of person. Cause a lot Harmony of times have, is right there. <laughs> said a pitch a pong. <laughs> um, so I don't, I, I don't know, man. Like it, it, I don't think we get any fantastic Four stuff at comic con. I think if we are going to get something, it's going to be one film after they bring all those casts out and it's going to be, I don't think they jump right into Secret Wars. I think they're still building. I think a Secret Wars is more of like an Avengers Endgame kind of thing. Like so, and you needed Avengers and Age of Ultron to get to Endgame and Infinity War. So like I still think you need those kind of movies first. And I don't know if Secret Wars is that. Um, sure, but I think that's what people do really want, though, because like there has been a lot of conversation with like even with Thor, Love and Thunder, where you know, people, why people love these movies, these shared universes, the MCU so much is because there was kind of a goal in mind where right now there's nothing like there's no kind of, you know, no. final destination in, 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 in sight. So I think if Kevin Feige says, okay, what we are kind of building towards, even though he doesn't necessarily have to reveal everything, but like, he says like, oh, like, you know, our next big team up movie might not be a secret wars film, but maybe it's something. It's, yeah. I mean, even the Thunderbolts, you know, like, yeah. like something like that. Thunderbolts or- could get revealed. Cause we do know, like, that's the other thing. Like if for the movies that aren't technically announced, there's the a rumor that werewolf by night will be revealed at um at comic-con which michael giacchino is directing um and i'm sure he'll also and that's where moon knight had Um, that in the comic books was introduced was in werewolf by night absolutely and we do know like uh basam Tariq is directing blade sean levy's doing deadpool uh julius ona is doing captain america 4 so i wouldn't be surprised uh, if they bring him out and and anthony mackie uh, if they Destin, confirm Sebastian Stan, whether or not he's yeah, going to be in it, so. Destin Daniel Cretton uh, coming out, maybe doing something about either one of the Shang Chi um, spinoff shows or the sequel, and then we so have more Jay- than one. Yes, because it was the sister. Right? There's a Ten Rings show, and then oh, okay. Um, the sister is the one in it. Uh, that's like she becomes the, the new rings. yeah the Ten. Rings. So maybe it's just the Ten Rings one. I think maybe Ryan Coogler has multiple shows. Ironheart, like we could yes. see some of the stuff. Well, Ironheart's like, supposed to be a part of of Black Panther. So right? I think maybe you bring out the Black Panther cast, you introduce everyone there. Maybe you talk about the Ironheart series a little bit. Um, Thunderbolts, maybe you do announce with Jake Schreier, and then maybe you announce the Thunderbolts cast because that makes that makes more sense to me because those would be all returning MCU villains. So I think instead of announcing a brand new people that are part of fantastic four or something like that, like Thunderbolts could be a big thing, much like they brought out Natalie Portman for Thor love and thunder returning, um, which was a big deal at comic-con. Like if you announced Thunderbolts and said, Yelena's coming back, it's also going to have Julia Louis Dreyfus. It's going to have uh, Wyatt Russell. It's going to have Tim Roth. It's going to have 
uh, who played Ghost in Ant Man? <laughs> um, oh, uh, Hannah um, John. Uh, yeah, Hannon, I, I think yeah. like Ghost will be part of that. Uh, I'm trying to think who else would be part of Thunderbolts. But like, if you brought back all these MCU villains uh, uh, and be part of Thunderbolts, like I think that could be a big moment. Like, especially if some of them are from uh, some older Marvel movies that we haven't seen in a while. I think that could be fun uh armor wars i hope they bring back sam rockwell that's my one wish for that uh which i wouldn't be surprised if they do no discussion of um, uh morbius which would be great yeah um so i don't know man like, there's a lot going on but that's what i mean thing- like I, I don't know how you do all that in an hour <laughs> yeah the other thing is like who who's the star of these movies now because with robert downey jr and chris not evans, yeah and chris evans like there's there's no real like it's Carol Danvers center, is... but, but even like Brie Larson, like was like, like the way that they changed Captain Marvel two to the Marvels kind of felt almost like they weren't confident enough in Brie Larson as the character, because even she felt a little bit iffy, you know, in, you know, her introduction. So yeah, like who's in with Gar- like, even with guardians three, like guardians three is supposed to kind of be the breakup now of, 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 that iteration because like Dave Batista's talked about like already moving on afterwards mm. and things like that. So like my guess there's Chris Pratt sticks around with maybe one other guardian and then they bring in new people. Yeah. Like, Cause Adam started... Warlock's another big deal, yeah. right? Like with, with Will yeah. Poulter, like in the comics, like he's always kind of been one of the most powerful beings and yeah. And helped in the infinity saga usually and, and stuff like that. So yeah, there's a lot. And I, that's the thing about the MCU right now is there's so much going on. So many TV shows at one moment, four movies a year, like without um, any clear direction. Like, like it feels like yeah. it's just all over the place. And I'm, oh, and I'm echo fine. too. We should mention echo is another yeah, one. Yeah. With well. daredevil and, 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 and Kingpin coming back. Um, and even Jessica Jones is supposed to be rumored for something for coming it up. as well. Or, so, or, or she Hulk or something. See, like, that's what I mean. There's so much. And I agree with you that it feels a bit aimless. Cause I think we were so used to having a direct, like Thanos. We know we got the infinity gauntlet and the infinity stones. And even though these movies are all individual, it is part of this bigger story where right now, it almost feels like phase one again, right? Where you're kind of feeling out characters, you're feeling out individual movies. Um, you know, we didn't really have Thanos until the first Guardians movie, right? No, uh, in, well, the end, the end of um, wasn't it Avengers. the end of the first Avengers, Avengers movie where yes, we were right. given like that that so post credit scene? I think we're on track then, dude. Like to me, yes, we knew we were building to the Avengers, right? Because you have um, Sam Jackson coming out at the end of. Iron Man, the very first MCU movie, and saying Avengers Initiatives. So you knew Yeah, you were a part building, of a bigger world. You knew they were building to that, but you still know that they're building to team-ups in this. So that doesn't bother me. But we didn't know about Thanos until that first Avengers movie. And maybe it's taking a little bit longer because of the pandemic or, or different things like that. But I think we're building to a team-up movie um, that doesn't necessarily need to be the big bad of what the next saga is going to be Uh, i think it can be someone like you know a loki being the villain in avengers maybe it's kang the conqueror being the villain of whatever the next team-up movie is after quantum mania and then um the end of that movie revealing um who the next big bad is um but it could be or it could be a movie coming up uh, like sooner rather than later of, of of teasing something at the end 
that is like, oh, that person's going to be a big bad or something like that, which Kang, I think, kind of fits into that, right? Like, I feel like we might have already been teased that. It's just like... Well, there's think- also there's also stuff with, like, Shang-Chi talking about the origin of the rings being alien and then i think like, that even ties with into the, captain marvel and, and the even bangle. with the bangle as yeah. well and, and uh, yeah miss marvel and then like um and the timelines aren't adding up because and the eternals like what what's going on with them <laughs> like even though i don't care but like, no, it does feel nothing. like they will be a part of it and then with moon knight and blade i mean there's all these variables of like smaller team-up movies right or smaller team up maybe now you get to the point where you start announcing all those team-ups like maybe that's what the next thing is like and i predicted that way back i remember going i bet you one of these next phases of marvel isn't going to be one avengers movie it's going to be five of them you know what i mean like it's going to be five team-up movies you got fantastic four you got young avengers you're gonna have a new avengers you're gonna have a thunderbolts you're going to have a midnight suns and like i really do think and then at the end of that you're getting secret wars where all these you're getting x-men you're getting all of these different teams that will have to all come together and form a super team uh for secret wars or whatever. Right. Or you're going to have yeah. like, whether it's building to Avengers versus X-Men as a, like a new civil war. Right. Or something like that. That's way down the line, but like um, Avengers versus X-Men, I think was a really fun comic and like secret wars feels like, is that thing where you bring all these teams up and you have that infinity war Endgame thing where it's not individual characters all needing to team up now. It's big teams that need to team up. So like the villains, the Thunderbolts have to come help. The fucking Fantastic Four has to help. The Young Avengers, they're not ready yet. They're just, they dealt with smaller threats, but now they all have to come in and help out, right? The Defenders are nowhere to be found. (laughs) Defenders. Hey, no, dude, I wouldn't be surprised if they bring back the Defenders. Like, um, I really think that maybe that is what they're Except for Iron Fist. They'll probably recast that role. Yes. Um, I think that like, that seems to be with Kang being the villain, um, maybe a Dr. Doom, something like that. But that that's obviously going to lead into Fantastic Four. Like, I don't think you can do a Fantastic Four movie without having him. You need Galactus. Galactus is like Galactus the guy could be the thing, who, man. A Silver Surfer as well, right? Like, I'm sure Silver Surfer will factor into somewhere Four, into yeah. phase five or six because it, it, it feels like if you're like Kang is a big villain, but like the way that you're describing, you know, secret wards is almost like you need something that is like more threatening than Thanos. And then like Dr. Doom and Galactus makes sense. Yeah. But I don't know, man, I'm excited. Obviously this is really fun to talk about and we're so close to getting some of that. Like, I don't know exactly what we get at Comic-Con, but I'm excited for our next episode because we will be, talking about it so um i think that's a perfect way to end off i don't think there was any other real big news or trailers that we really need to go into but how dare you um, rob zombies the monsters oh god sure (laughs) no thanks i'm all right um so thank you all for listening uh or watching we really really do appreciate it let us know what you think is going to be announced at uh comic-con um there's other stuff going on too so we'll cover all of comic-con on the next episode we should Um, mention quickly tiff talk bros was announced to play uh tiff so i will put a little time code on here right now because we do need tiff talk every week tiff talk 2022 uh, yes, we got an announcement that um, Nicholas Stoller's uh, and, and Billy Eichner, 
uh he wrote it um bros is playing tiff so um i'm i'm pumped for that it's you know i thought the trailer looked like a you know a fun uh bromantic uh uh comedy and uh, i like nicholas stoller um billy eichner i like his billy on the street stuff and i've always liked him popping up in different things so uh, i think just the concept of it of every actor in the movie uh being uh you know part of the lgtbq plus community i think is awesome and uh even the ones playing straight roles and stuff like that um so i'm I think it's it's huge, and I think it's it's fun that it's playing TIFF a couple of weeks before it comes out. Yeah, I mean, I I'm not worried about it because it, like, not, because Universal usually always has a movie that comes out at the end of September that is sometimes questionable. Last year we got Dear Evan Hansen. This looks ten times better sure. and doesn't look yeah. like it really has any like this is more straightforward, doesn't have a lead that is, you know, forty-five playing eight <laughs> sixteen, you know, like something no. like that. Um so yeah, like this could be and this this is also one of those movies where it's like eight like depending on our schedule, could be like that perfect film where you've watched like two or three really dense you know, like <laughs> dark or yeah. like depressing movies and then you just need something a little bit more fun and enjoyable and like that this bros kind of looks like that movie where it's like it's a bit of like a nice kind of counter programming i absolutely agree and um i think it is perfect counter programming to a lot of the kind of you know intense or dense stuff um that you see during the festival and it is always nice it's like you know it's one of those it's a splashier movie it's a little bit bigger and 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 things like that with this and knives out uh sequel uh glass onion playing or kind of i i because i i texted you and i thought it was interesting how they were doing their their announcements because they're doing them one a week i think we missed out on the other announcement too it wasn't just bros right yeah yeah it Um, was oh what's uh I'm looking this up now. Yes. Uh, I got to try to find it as well. So we got um, the full festival. We have. This is a Paramount Players film. Uh, on the Come Up. Yeah. Um, which is based on a book um, by the same author who wrote The Hate You Give, I believe. Um, so, yeah. Right now we have Glass Onion, Brother, On the Come Up, and Bros. So I think it's really interesting. Um that bros uh, and brother uh, yeah double feature uh hopefully they premiere back to back on the same uh night um it's interesting the way that they're doing their announcements because we're mid-july which is usually when we get that first batch of special presentations and galas um but they've been doing usually one announcement per week but then last week they did a wednesday announcement and a thursday friday friday Friday, thursday friday yeah Um, so it seems like they're just trickling out some of these bigger premieres. I think it is interesting that it was sandwiched by two buzzier, flashier movies and two smaller kind of movies, uh, representing, you know, uh, you know, Canadian content and, and, and and things like that, but a one for you um, and a one for, for us kind of thing or something. Exactly. So, um, I think this Wednesday we're going to get a dump of a bunch though. Yeah, I, I, I feel like they're 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 trickling out the you know the exclusive films first that are playing or or premiering only at, at TIFF, TIFF yeah. to kind of give that 
buzz, that hype for certain films. And especially, again, we talked about it last time where, you know, in, in since the pandemic, TIFF has been hit a little harder when it comes to the fall festival season competing with Telluride and New York kind of sandwiched in there in Venice as well, where it's like, okay, some of these movies have bypassed TIFF because you know, Tiff had the hybrid sort of online as well. So now it kind of feels like, you know, with Tiff making an effort for in it to be only. in person, you know, watching them in theaters, that it's like, okay, well, we need to kind of present that we have, you know, a nice kind of cross section of small and large scale movies that will be uh, theatrical in person only, you know, and, and having, you know, something from Netflix obviously establishes or keeps the relationship with them going and, and I'm sure we'll get more, but yeah, like I feel like once they've kind of maybe done like six or seven of these, they'll kind of like announce like one whole section at the end of of July or something. Yeah. And then slowly from each week up until the festival do it. But, but I mean, Telluride is the opposite where like they don't announce their schedule until almost like the Wednesday before. before. And we're also supposed to get the Venice lineup soon as well. So, you know, there'll probably be um, a lot of correlation there when it comes to like, what's going to play at Venice may or may not end up playing at TIFF. Yeah. A lot of the times you can see the Venice lineup and see, what is also going to premiere here. Like it's usually a safe bet that a lot of that is. So um, yeah, I'm excited, man. It's crept up on me, but like before we know it, we'll be mid August and maybe screening some movies early and and we'll be in full TIFF mode, which is almost weirdly perfect timing because my contract at family feud is up mid August. (laughs) So I might just be able to take on like a month off to just focus on TIFF stuff, which is pretty awesome. And I don't have to like focus on other work. Then I got to figure out what I'm doing after that. So we'll see. Uh, I'm excited for TIFF. Let us know what you want to see at the festival and let us know (laughs) your, I thought you were just going to say, let us know what you want. (laughs) (laughs) Let us know what you want. We'll get it for you. Um, thank you all for listening or watching. Uh, we really, really do appreciate it. Uh, go check out our reviews for, uh, Thor, uh, love and thunder and the Grayman. Those are over on the untitled movie reviews channel. Uh, if you want a one-stop shop for everything, just head over to letterbox, which is untitled underscore movies. Uh, everything's over there. You get our star ratings, you get our lists. We're going to update a bunch of stuff. So everything will be updated with our updated lists and updated on YouTube with some of our guest appearances and things like that. So, uh, we're back in full speed doing weekly episodes leading into the festival and full um, Orlando bloom people. Yeah. <laughs> um, you love it. You love it. Uh, as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my video reviews and interviews, including one with Marcel the Shell with Shoes On director Dean Fleischer Camp on rogerstv.com slash cinema scene. Just Eric interviewing himself. <laughs> yes, quite literally. And I'm on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. Whale Jet Ski.